Um, what I'd like to share from, and then we'll open in prayer, I would like to look at um, Jesus' prayer in John 17. Um, for me, this passage has been kind of an, a real anchor um, to really help guide through some of the, especially here, just some of the, the hard times we've been going through as a church, but really, for at least for me personally, um, to really seek the Lord and draw near to him and find my strength and guidance in him um, first and foremost. And so the Lord's really used it to encourage me. Um, Lord willing, it's it's the right word for, for some of you to hear as well, and the Holy Spirit's able to apply those things to his people's hearts as as they need to hear it. But I know for me, <clears throat> it's it's personally what the Lord has used to really help, help me. Um, so I pray it's an encouragement to you. And kind of like what Andy was praying before, I was thinking about this, you know, we don't we don't need more don't need more knowledge about God's word, and I remember something that you know Leonard Ravenhill used to say. He was an old English preacher. He said, "The question isn't where you challenged; it's where you changed." And so let's just pray that the Lord would change us. You know that we would follow through; that He would change us by His word. We wouldn't just learn some new things or maybe hear some things that we've heard before, but that He'd really change us and cause us to draw near to Him, and that He would meet with us this morning. So let's let's pray first. We need the Lord's help. Father in heaven, I just confess I need you. We we need you this morning. We want to hear from you. Um, no one needs to hear from me, but we do need to hear from from you. And um, so I just pray everything that is is clearly what is taught in your word that would come out clear, and that your spirit would come and help and that you would just feed your people. Um, we need your Holy Spirit. We need a fresh glimpse of Christ and his beauty and his majesty and his glory. pray that we would draw near to, near to him today, uh, that we would find um, our all in him. <clears throat> Again, we just give you thanks for your word, and we're, we're looking to you alone uh, to help this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I guess it's a saying down through church history that this this prayer of Jesus's has been called, and I don't know for how long, but I know Martin Lloyd Jones said that <clears throat> as you know, it's kind of quoted it as though it's something not from him, but just something that's just a known thing. This passage is in many ways the greatest prayer of all time, which follows the greatest sermon of all time. Um, you might argue that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon, um, but in many ways, kind of like what's been shared a bit this morning about the Gospel of John, <clears throat> there's something very personal and very powerful about Jesus' words in John 14 through 16 um, in his sermon to his to the disciples and words of encouragement to them, and then his choice to audibly make this prayer. Because we know, you know Jesus would go alone to pray all the time throughout his life, but why, why this time in particular, why did he choose to pray out loud so that they could hear? And I believe there's a lot of really good reasons for why he chose this time. Um, but just the main one being, I, I believe there's enough, enough truth here. If we had almost none of the rest of the New Testament, there's enough truth contained here that could sustain a Christian their entire lives. Um, 
<clears throat> as far as just the, the most, most basic essential truths about the gospel and who God is and dwelling in God's presence and that that's what we really need most to sustain us. And so just a couple things um, about this passage and just about John before we actually read it. Um, so just a couple quotes here. Um, so Martin Lloyd-Jones said, <clears throat> It is one of the richest and most sublime statements to be found anywhere, even in Scripture themselves. And there is a sense in which one preaches it with fear and trembling, lest one may in any way detract from its greatness and from its value. There have been those in the past who have felt that they are dealing with something which is so sacred because it is the very opening into our Lord's own heart. The right thing, the only right thing to do with this prayer is to read it. And then um, <clears throat> George Bowen, just a short quote from him. Um, I meant to say this at the beginning. Just a short plug for, and if anyone wanted to borrow this, um, just let me know um, if you didn't want to buy it, but you'd like to borrow it. Garrett once recommended this to me years ago. It's very devotional. If you want a very theological work on uh, John 17, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a commentary which is 650 pages long on John 17, like just John 17. So if you want the really in-depth look, and no, I haven't read all of that. I've read a little bit of it. But this is very devotional. Um, it's George Bowen, Meditations on John 13 through 17. Again, that whole passage starting with Jesus saying, you know, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And finishing with John with the prayer here, <clears throat> where again, he's finishing with the love of God for his people, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So it's a glorious section of scripture here just before Jesus goes to the cross. And it's very devotional meditations on this section of scripture. So again, love revealed by George Bowen, incredibly encouraging. I just wanted to highlight that <clears throat> um, if you'd like to read that or borrow it. But what he says is, <clears throat> regarding this section of scripture, especially in John 17, into what unimagined treasures of peace, joy, comfort, love, strength, hope, patience, and holiness has many a soul been conducted to by these words. How much of heaven has been brought by them um, into many souls, and how little measure of blessing appropriated in comparison with what still lies, um, lies ahead. <clears throat> and he compares it to being like a ladder let down from heaven for the saints to be able to come into God's presence and, and meet with him and learn about him and know him more. So just a couple things about the Gospel of John and how it's so different from the other Gospels. So you see in you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are much more like historical narratives, whereas John reads much more like a personal, it's, it's more personal, it's more universal, it's more theological um, and, and simple in a sense, not theologically deep, I would say, but just, I mean, John's where we have John 3.16 and other, other verses that really lay out for us, this is the gospel and this is how to be saved. It's the only gospel that I know that has a clear purpose statement. You know, John 20 verse 31 says, you know, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is a very special 
<clears throat> and very different book from the other Gospels, not making the others unimportant, but there's a reason that John's kind of our go-to when we're wanting to introduce someone to God or think the things of God and Jesus, we give out Gospel of John. Um, it's the most common one. So the context is of John 17 is Jesus speaking to his disciples, his final words to them just before he goes to the cross. Um, even though we know his soul is exceedingly sorrowful and full of trouble, his thoughts are on comforting and strengthening his people. And that's that's where his love for his people shows through here. Um, and then it culminates in this prayer when he finishes up um, John sixteen thirty three. He says, you know, in this world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And then he goes into this prayer. Um, and so let's read it together. And then there's just a, a few things that really have stood out to me, especially towards the end of chapter 17, that I'd like us to really meditate on and, and dwell on. So John 17 <clears throat> says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that that, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. I almost think at the beginning of this passage, he says, the hour has come. You know, how many times has Jesus gone to the Father, and he's looking ahead to this, this time when the hour is going to be, you know, the hour is near, the hour is ahead, the hour is coming when I'm going to have to go to the cross and die for my people. But now he's reached the end. You know, he's, he's fulfilled his ministry. He's walked with the disciples, and he's come to that place where now is the time. <clears throat> Father, the hour has come. And this is, this is the message he most wants to communicate to his people in, the, in those final hours, because it's not a, a literal hour, it's the, the time. The time has come. Um, the end of my life is here, and these are the main things he wants to communicate. Um, three things that kind of stood out to me. There are so many things that we could get into, and they're mostly in the latter part um, of this section of Scripture, but a few things that really stood out to me that I want to highlight. Um, first of all, um, the first one being that the world may know. So you see this this phrase or this idea repeated a few times in the latter part there. He says, sanctify in the, them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then he talks about sending them into the world. So I'm not trying to in any way downplay the importance of evangelistic efforts. I've been very actively part of those in the past. But the most effective and clear way that God's people are going to be sent into this world and be salt and light and change the world around them is if we are sanctified in the truth. This statement of being sent into the world is kind of on either side of it is this idea. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So, just an emphasis here on why it is so important that we be grounded in the most essential truths and know them at the very core of our being um, and not in any way be wavering on them because those truths are what lead to sanctified lives that will then demonstrate God's power to the world around us so that the world may know. And you see this come up over and over. Um, Verse uh, 21, it says, so that the world may believe so the, the oneness of the church with God and with each other is, is a fundamental part of the world seeing the reality of God and his people and then being drawn to God and to believing in him so that the world may believe. Um, and then in verse 25, there's a bunch of places we could highlight, but verse 25, um, O righteous Father, you know, even though the world does not know you, I know you. Um, oh, wait, no. That wasn't the section. 23. 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So again, the love of God in the hearts of his people and them living in that and dwelling in that and walking in that reality is how the world will know. So when, when we, again, we can just, yeah, yeah, we know, we know that. That's, that's true. We know that. We really don't want to miss this because it's very easy to jump to, um, I mean, not that we're guilty of it here, but, you know, in so many places where they'll jump to, we need to survey our community and find out what people need. If we can meet felt needs, then we can have an impact on our community. You know, all these different modes and methods, or if, if we, if we water down or make the church setting more seeker-friendly, then we'll, I mean, you know where I'm going with this, all these different examples of ways that um, people are trying to find ways to impact the world for Jesus. You know, we want to make an impact. Everyone wants to make an impact. Well, you know, it, it's clearly laid out for us here in Scripture, and it's, it's whether or not we're going to really believe this and embrace it, us being one with God in Christ and walking in the reality of that and then one with each other, that is how the world will know. That is how we will reach the world. It's All these other things are really, um, I, I'm not going to say it's all bad or wrong, but this is the foundation. This is everything, um, is walking in the reality of that. So that the world may know. Um, you know, John thirteen thirty four. You know, we, we know this verse, but it's just, again, it, it's worth reading. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then verse 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's, it's as I have loved you. That, that is a standard that's so high, none of us will ever attain it. But that's where living out the Christian life takes supernatural strength. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. So that's the reality we need to walk in. And it starts by being sanctified in the truth and then walking in the reality of that truth and just making sure that there's nothing in your life that will get in the way of you believing these things and walking in the reality of those things. Don't let anything get in the way of that um, because the devil is trying to distract us all the time so that the world may know. Um, just that it was one thing that stood out. Um, and then the second one here, that they may all be one. Um, so again, verse 23, I and them and you and me, um, that they may become perfectly one. <coughs> Um, so that the world may know that you sent me. So this this idea of the oneness of God's people. Um, I want to just touch on on some of this because there's sometimes a lot of of wrong wrong thinking on this. And this is where again we need to be really clearly grounded in in what the scriptures actually teach. Um, you know, there's some preachers out there who will say things like, you know, the the church is all divided. You know, all over the place. The church is divided everywhere. I I don't see that in scripture. I see the scriptures teaching the church is one um, over and over again. It's, it's very clear over and over again. So, so we need to, instead of, looking at what we are, instead of looking at what we see out there and then reinterpreting it through the lens of what we think, you know, like, oh, you know, everybody's divided like the body of Christ. There's, there's parts of the body all over the place, and it's all divided. What we're looking at is people have, we have different opinions on things. We have disagreements on things. And in, and sometimes in the end, those things can be, you know, can become really, a pro, they can become a problem. But the reality is the church is one. We don't need to strive to make the church one. It is one. 
Christ has accomplished it. And if we're trying to accomplish something that Christ has already accomplished, we're, we're not believing the truth, we're not walking in the reality of the truth, and we're going to wind up in problems because we're going to be trying to make something happen or make something real that God has already accomplished. Um, it's very clear in this, in this passage of Scripture, it's his intent that the church be one. His people will be one. They are one. That doesn't mean they agree on everything, but it means they're one, and they love each other. They would be willing to die for each other. These truths are real to them. It is real. And so if that's missing, maybe there's something going on. But the reality is, is God's people are one um, with each other, and so it's we need to walk in the reality of what God has already done, not try to make something happen that we see being as divided. Because, again, that's walking by the flesh, not by the spirit not walking according to what God's word has taught us. So let's not focus on the differences. Let's focus on Christ. And that's, that's, he's the one that unites us. Our union is with him and he's the one that unites us with each other. So we need God's perspective. If that seems really lofty and really out of touch with, it's just all I see is a mess everywhere. That's where we need to get back into what does God's word teach though? We can't go based on what we see around us necessarily. We need to be grounded in what did Christ actually say? What did what does God's word say? Because it is sufficient. You know, God's word is sufficient for all of our needs. Um, a couple things here. Um, just a couple quotes along those lines. I'd, I'd read this one of Payson's. I'm going to give a shorter version because uh, I kind of noticed as I, I get to the end here, I've done this before um, for any of you who've, heard me share before I just always have way way too many notes maybe someday I'll learn my lesson on that but um but anyways maybe that's a new year's resolution um so here it's Payson says he's just speaking about the Christian's love for each other he says there are some Christians whom it is not very easy to love on account of some disagreeable peculiarities about them but we shall love them hereafter as we love our own souls Besides, our Savior loves them, notwithstanding all these imperfections. Ought not we to love those whom he loves? If he were now visibly on earth and we were permitted to stand by his side, if we saw him bend a look of love on any individual, would not our affections immediately flow out towards that person, however disagreeable or imperfect he might be? Such a look our Savior does bend on the most unlovely of his disciples." Let us then love them all for his sake. So that's Edward Payson on how our love should go out towards every saint, even those we might disagree with or or just we find personality-wise, we just don't mesh with them or all these different things that can be dividers. You know, um, our oneness with each other is not based on our, our like interests or like personalities or... Um, other things, other superficial things that this world can find unity in. Um, you know, I remember Garrett once praying something at a prayer meeting where it was something along the lines of, and I don't think it was a personal insult towards any in the room necessarily, but it was just, you know, Lord, I'm here with these brothers, and under other circumstances, as a lost person, I'd have nothing to do with them. I would have no interest in anything. Like, but because of you, I love them more than my, some of my dearest family who are lost because I have something with them that is eternal. It's Christ in them. And so um, there's something that bonds believers together. And it's not just that we, you know, like all the same things or have similar, you know, again, like I was saying, it's, it's Christ in us that unites us together. 
if we're walking in the reality of it. If we're not, then the differences will be magnified, and then and then it goes to it goes to bad places. Um, I love this quote of this is one of George Bowen's quotes. He says, "Christ, Christ is precious to the believer, and just in the degree in which He is so, are believers drawn to each other." So insofar as Christ is truly precious to you, you will be drawn to other believers. If, if, if your tendency is more towards harshness or just seeing the, seeing the challenges or the shortcomings or personality quirks of different people, I challenge you that that's not what walking in love truly is. You know, as, as, as you're drawn to Christ and truly loving him, in, if that's reality then your heart will be drawn to all believers. Um, really appreciate that, um, that thought. <clears throat> so the, the main place I want us to really park, so those were two, so that the world may know and that we may all be one. Those were two kind of sub-points. Uh, the main place I want us to really park and, and dwell is here is just thinking about being in, in God's presence, being in Christ's presence, and that being more of a reality. It's something that I've felt to be really lacking. I feel like the last few years I've really not been going on with the Lord as I ought to have been. <clears throat> and so this has been a challenge to me to kind of you know, go back to your first love. Um, go back to the love you had at first, like it, like it says in, in Revelation to the lukewarm church. So just a few things here on this. So John 17, verse 24, Jesus says, Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> so normally, normally I'm, I'm, uh, I like my English Standard Version translation, um, but this is one of those instances where I'm going to say that the King James Version actually um, is the better translation and how this is how this verse how this word is handled um, it might sound like just a kind of a very slight nuance of a difference but I think it's important so when Jesus says I desire that they be with me where I am so he's looking at his people and saying I want to be with them this isn't like I desire as in like it's something he hopes will happen and it's like way maybe in the future I, I hope this will happen because it kind of has, it could have that interpretation. You could read it that way, but it, the word there actually should be, ought to be, and is better would be better translated as will. Um, so that if you think about in, in Luke, I think it's Luke chapter five, but in Luke where Jesus heals um, the one man, comes to him and says, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." And what does Jesus say? "I, I am willing. Be clean." It's, this, it's the same Greek word exact same word. So it's it's not just a de- expressing a wish or a desire. I, I desire, I would prefer. It's I will. So I think that's a better translation here is I will that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. <clears throat> Jesus is determined to see this happen. He's willing it to happen. In the same way, you know, Ezekiel 36, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. It's not just a maybe. If you're one of God's people, he will do it. He will accomplish the work as he started it. Um, this, this, this work and 
God's church and all these things, it's, it's on God's shoulders. He's going to make it happen. He will make it happen. He will accomplish it for his people. It's more than just a desire. Um, so this, this whole thing of being in God's presence and glorying in his presence, I have, I feel I have to turn to Song of Solomon here just to, to try to capture some of God's heart for us and what our heart should be towards him in this, the desire to be with him, <clears throat> and then just try to get back to if that's not real in your heart, what, what happened? You know, why, why is that the case? Why is it not real anymore? So you think about the, uh, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, um, this, you know, Song of Solomon is, I think, rightfully interpreted as a reflection of Christ's love for the church, his bride, and the reciprocal love and delight that they have in each other. Um, that could be a side discussion if you don't like interpreting Song of Solomon that way, but I think in the end it's a, it's a, it's a proper look at one of the ways you can look at Song of Solomon. Um, but in chapter 3, um, look at this with me. So chapter 3, verse 1. This is the bride here. Um, she says, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. So the main thing I want us to see from this is she is so determined. She is so determined to be with the one she loves. She will not accept no for an answer. So she wakes up. She can't sleep. She wants to be with the one she loves. And she's, she's going to get to him. There's, there's no no here. Like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm just going to go back to sleep. I can't, I can't find him. I don't know where he is. I'll just go back to sleep. No, she gets up and she goes searching. She is not going to stop looking. She's not going to stop searching. She's not going to stop seeking him until she finds him. You know, and hate to pick on uh, <clears throat> Hannah and David here, but I will. You know, there's that sense of, you know, I remember like in small groups when we'd be asking, you know, how's how are things going with David, you know, getting ready for marriage? You know, it, I, I guarantee you it was not like, you know, he, he's okay. You know, we're, we're, we're getting ready. I mean, it was like, you know, beaming smiles, delight, joy, happiness, anticipation. I mean, that's the way it, that's, that's wonderful and that's glorious and that's the way it should be. And I remember when the Lord, when the Lord saved me, um, that was one of the strong things that stood out was how different it was from everything that was before. That sense of the desire to be in God's presence, the desire to be with Him, to draw near to Him and to just, I remember the first couple nights, I remember, you know, Jim Kelly, his, his, uh, testimony, he would share how what was different was he would, he was a pretty depressed, sad person. And he woke up <clears throat> those first two, it was just those first couple days after the Lord saved him, but he woke up smiling and uh, just like with a big smile on his face. And it hasn't happened since, but just again, that I'm, I'm a different person. I'm changed. God has changed me. And, uh, I remember those first couple nights after the Lord, I'd really found peace in him. You know, we'd, we'd moved out this way really thinking like, you know, 
I don't want to go too much into into that story, but you know, the Lord brought us out here and really showed us, showed me in my heart. You know, there's there's people here in this church that have something that I I don't have. You know, and it it's that it's not about being super special or anything great in and of yourselves. It's it's you have a reality with God. You walk close to Him, and He's real to you. I mean, that's that's what's real in the people of God. And I remember just that sense of I. I don't have that. I, I just don't have it. And all the all the efforts and labor and striving and prayers and missions trips and Bible reading and memorization of scripture and all these things didn't do anything to drown out the lack of peace that was in my own heart. I, I don't, I'm not right with God. I, I don't have peace with him. And one of those, one of the things that stood out most to me after I really um, cast myself upon the Lord and the Lord saved me was that desire to to be with Jesus and those first couple of nights I remember just crying myself to sleep and it was tears of just the the longing to be with Jesus the longing to be near to him the longing to be with God you know is is that is that still real what what where do how do we get away from that how do we get away from walking close to God in that way where there's that sense of I just want to be with him I want to be near to him and keeping that love fresh, keeping that love fresh and new, fresh glimpses of Christ um, and growing in our knowledge of him. <clears throat> so Song of Solomon, just a couple quotes here that I think are helpful just in this line of thinking of just how delightful and glorious and good it is to be in the presence of God and to walk close to him. So this is John Flavel. Um, he says, let me tell you, this is a letter he wrote to some of his friends, kind of introducing a book he'd just written. He says, let me tell you, the whole world is not a theater large enough to show the glory of Christ upon or unfold the one half of the unsearchable riches that lie hid in him. These things will be far better understood and spoke of in heaven by the noonday divinity in which the immediately illuminated assembly do hear, do there preach his praises, shall by such a stammering tongue and scribbling pen as mine, which does but mar them. Alas, I write his praises but by moonlight. Just think of that. You know, it's like if we could just turn all the lights off and just have one little, you know, maybe a candle. over. Th- this is all we're seeing now. If you know anything of Christ now, you've seen glories that are consuming and overwhelming. And this is ju- this is just a small glimpse of what's coming. I write these praises but by moonlight. What shall I say of Christ? The excelling glory of that object dazzles all apprehension, swallows up all expression. When we have borrowed metaphors from every creature that has any excellency in it, um, excellency or lovely property in it, till we have stripped the whole creation bare of all its ornaments and clothed Christ with all that glory, when we have even worn out our tongues in ascribing praises to him, alas, we have done nothing when all is done. One more here. Uh, this is Samuel Rutherford. He says, Oh, what a fair one. What an excellent, lovely one is Jesus. Put the beauty of 10,000 worlds of paradises like the Garden of Eden in one. Put all trees, all flowers, all smells, all colors, all tastes, all joys, all sweetness, all loveliness in one. Oh, what a fair and excellent thing 
would that be? Yet it would be less to that fair and dearest, well-beloved Jesus than one drop of rain to whole seas, rivers, lakes, and fountains of 10,000 earths. Oh, that there is so much spoken and so much written and so much thought of creature vanity and so little written and so little spoken and so little thought of my great and incomprehensible and never enough wondered at Lord Jesus. Why should I not curse this forlorn and wretched world that suffereth my Lord Jesus to to lie alone? O damned souls, O mistaken world, what aileth you that you run so from Christ? O that men would once be wise and not fall so in love with their own hell as to pass by Christ and mistake him. But let us... Let us come near and fill ourselves with Christ, and let us drink and satisfy our hollow and deep desires with Jesus. It's, it's more than just theological truth about Christ. It's about being in his presence and walking in the reality of who he is and walking close to him. Is that, is that real? Is that real? And if it's not, you know, seek the Lord that it might be, because why would we want to? Why would we want to live <clears throat> anywhere else? So, just some thoughts here in conclusion. Um, I have a few concluding thoughts here. So, Second Corinthians eleven three says that the the serpent was able to beguile Eve from the earth. Sorry. I'll just go ahead and read it. I'm starting to lose my thoughts here. Second Corinthians 11.3 um, kind of gives a, a warning and just a reminder. So it's a warning because it's a very real danger that any of God's people can fall into, but it's also such an encouraging promise, I think, says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So there's a simplicity, there's, there's a depth in growing in our knowledge of God, growing in our knowledge of the great doctrines and teachings of Scripture, and walking in the reality of those. And it's just a reminder, you know, there are so many distractions. There are so many ways that the devil can creep in and get your mind off of the simplicity of walking close to Jesus or just walking in the truths that we see in John 17 and, and ways that God's people can truly be filled, filled with God, filled with Christ, one with each other, and then be able to truly make an, a, an impact on the world around us that the world might know. Um, Another quote here from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, All our anxieties and troubles, all our uncertainties and hesitations, and so much of our unhappiness in our spiritual lives is to be traced simply to the fact that we do not realize what is provided for us. The Apostle Peter, in his second epistle, does not hesitate to say, All things that pertain to life and godliness are given to us. All things. We're lacking in nothing. And the claim that is made constantly in these New Testament epistles is that there is no conceivable condition which we can ever know 
There is no state of the soul which we can ever enter on that has not already been prepared for. Every challenge you're going to face, every difficulty, every disagreement, every challenging person you're going to deal with, there is no situation that hasn't been prepared for. There is no reason to ever be discouraged. There's really no good reason to ever be overwhelmed because Christ has accomplished everything. And if we could walk in the reality of that, we are meant to know the fullness and the triumph. We are meant to experience a glory even here on earth. You know, think of Second Corinthians 2.14 um, where it talks about God always leading his people in triumphal procession and the fragrance of Christ coming off from us for wherever we go. Now, if you're anything like me the last few years, you might really feel like I'm not seeing much of that. You know, I haven't, haven't felt the reality of much of that. So I'm not, I'm certainly not speaking about these things as though I'm the example to follow on, on these areas, but it's, this is what God's word says. And it's, we believe it or we don't. If, if we fall into the mindset of saying, yeah, that all sounds good, but my situation's different. My situation's special. I have a hard time with some of those things. It's, it's pride and sin and unbelief in, in, in reality, in the end. Um, Jesus has accomplished all these things. He had, I mean, and, and there's, there's joys and realities and peace to be found in Him, um, if we'll just believe. And, and the question is, do we, do we believe? Do we believe what His Word says? Or are we going to believe what we see around us? Or many times what our own minds? I mean, the thing is, is the devil is more than able to put, you know, this, the serpent deceived Eve. He can put thoughts in our minds where we're just questioning, questioning, you know, can God really do that? Is this really, I mean, it happens all the time. He is constantly throwing, barraging us with distractions and questions and things to take us away from, again, the simplicity of walking close to Jesus, believing every word he tells us, and not letting anything get in the way of us believing every word he tells us. And it's it's an easier thing to say than to do. Um, it's like, is Christianity hard? It's hard to walk in. It's not hard to believe, though. The truths are simple. It's simple to believe. It's hard to walk in. And sometimes we reverse those. We make some things complicated that are very simple. Um, but the reality is, is walking in the truth, we, we know what we ought to do. And, and the Bible tells us. It lays out for us clearly. And God has prepared everything for us. I mean, think of Ephesians 1. Um, here's an, another passage. You don't need to turn there. I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here as I conclude thoughts. But, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as and he, and he goes on. But just that, every spiritual blessing. So we've received all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us every spiritual blessing. It's all there. But where is it? It's in the heavenly places with Christ. So it's if you're not... If you're not dwelling there, you know, if, if, what is it saying, Colossians? If you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is. If you're not dwelling in your daily life and in your daily walk where Christ is, and looking down, in a sense, looking down from heavenly places on this world, and keeping things from his perspective, then, then yeah, this is going to sound very flowery and very, not realistic and not in line with the, the challenges you face on a daily basis. But the reality is, is this is what God's word says. 
and he's given us everything we need, do we believe him? Do we believe him or not? And are we going to walk close to him so we can walk in the reality of that? And why would we allow anything to get into our lives that would keep us from being able to walk <clears throat> in that reality? Let me see if there was anything else here. For those that might feel, because these things are meant for everyone's encouragement. Um, if you, you know, if anyone's here and they're feeling like, wow, I don't know, I haven't walked that close to Jesus. I haven't felt, you know, my heart beat faster. You know, the, you, know you should read Song of Solomon. Some of the things that are said there, you know, the, the love that they have for each other. It's like, that's the way it should be. That's the way our walk with God, that's the way our walk with Jesus should be. That there's a sense of joy and longing to be in each other's presence. And then just staying there in it. Keep, you know, keep yourselves in the love of Christ. Keep yourself there. Why does he have to say keep yourself in the love of Christ? Because it's, it's so easy to wander out from that and to get out from under his love and then you're not under his protection. And then the spirit is, you know, maybe you've quenched the spirit and, and the protection of God and keeping yourself in his love that, that it's just not there and it's not as real as it once was. But these things are not for your discouragement. Because again, come back to how willing how willing is God to help us in these things? How willing is he to fill us? How willing is he to change us? Um, I love this quote from uh, Amy Carmichael because I think it really captures the idea of it's not God's willingness or unwillingness. It, it comes down to us again. We're, we're the problem. Um, she says, No vision of night can show, no word declare, with what longings of love divine love waits till the heart, all weary and sick of itself, turns to the Lord and says, take full possession. There is no need to plead that the love of God shall fill your heart as though he were unwilling to fill us. He is willing as light is willing to flood a room that is open to its brightness. He is willing as water is willing to flow into an emptied channel. Love is pressing around us on all sides like air, cease to resist, and instantly t love takes possession. Um, cease to resist. <clears throat> and maybe you can't see the things that are in the way. Um, sometimes I want to just smash this thing um, because even though it's, it's wonderful and I, I love all the, you know, the gadgetry and access to information, but it's so distracting. And if, if you, if you can't find time to spend alone with God and dwell in His presence, then maybe it would be better if you smashed your phone or whatever it is that gets in the way of you being near the Lord. And I know that sounds very legalistic, but I think you know where I'm going with that. It's, why would you let anything get in the way of being near to the Lord? And if it is a distraction, you know, um, maybe a, a, a diet or a fast in certain things. I know for me, consistency is something that I'm always coming back to and say, why can't I just be consistent in some of these areas? Because I want to walk in the reality of these truths. I don't want to just read about them. I just, I don't want to hear about others having these great, you know, read biographies of Christians who've had these great walks with the Lord while I am just continuously struggling and discouraged and doubting and questioning. That's not what Christ purchased for us though. He, you know, it says over and over, I know John touches on it, you know, he, he wants our joy to be full. He wants our joy to be full in him. And it can only be full in him. And that, that might mean cutting out some other, some, some things that, that get in the way of that. Uh, but there are treasures to be found in Christ. 
Um, may, may God help us. May the Holy Spirit help us to know the breadth and length and depth and height, you know, to know the love of Christ and then just his desire to be with us, to, to draw near to us and be, be close to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his blood that was shed for our sins. We don't deserve anything good from you, and yet you've given us everything. I just pray that you would help your people, that you would help your church, that you would strengthen us by your spirit, that you would fill us with the love of Christ, that we would walk in the reality of his love for us, and that we would be able to just keep our eyes on him and keep ourselves in his love and and just give us wisdom to know is there anything that's distracting us from that is there any any sin that we know of that needs to be repented of or is there just some wrong thinking where we've just resigned ourselves to kind of a miserable christian existence and that's not what you purchased at calvary um you've you've called us to to greater and greater heights to to run into and to move into by the help of your spirit Uh, we know all these things are beyond us we can do nothing without you Um, and we need you for all these things would you please help us i think of how your word says how paul said you know make um, that every desire for good would be fulfilled i just think of that verse and i just want to hold on to it for your people here and um lord just May you fulfill every desire for good. If we want to be close to you, that's a good desire. Um, if we want to be rid of, of idols or rid of anything that distracts us and be near nearer to you, um, being near to you is our, is our good. It's always our good to be near to you. Uh, would you help us, help us by your spirit to draw near to you? And um, we just need you. We can do nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.